Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to Sunday morning's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast, or Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, whatever you choose to listen. We prefer that you do it on, in the morning in preparation for church. Yeah, yeah, it is church today, and uh, that's awesome. That's exciting. Hey, we were just talking stats on the podcast, and we check in on them because we, we like to know that this is doing some good in the world, and we're not just talking out into the ether. And Four million downloads. Yeah, I that's, was surprised uh, by that. That is not us. That is not us. The but, other podcast we were talking about, four million downloads. Right, right. But uh, we've got an international reach and uh, that's exciting reach. hey you know it's still an international reach by the way if you're All one right. of the three people that are listening to us in switzerland <laughs> uh, we were just talking about we'd love to go to switzerland and if you'd like us to come out and do a live episode on the, the spot in switzerland you know don't, I mean, we don't write checks don't write checks we that we can't cash <laughs> how do we we have a church to run we would be we would be we'd, it'd be a turnaround trip we'd fly there for however long it t- what a day to get there yeah and then immediately turn around it'd be a mission trip to switzerland okay to the swiss alps no. in particular oh, okay that i see this all the really pretty areas important. which i don't i don't know if i've ever seen an ugly area of switzerland i'm sure there are but i've never seen them well they probably don't get much time on instagram the ugly places that's true that's true the united states gets plenty of ugly time on on instagram though yeah that's different yeah i guess it is yeah we're, we're special that way yeah, so uh, Sunday, we're, uh, we're excited for church today. In fact, our, our church is going to look different. If you haven't gotten there yet, we're going to be facing a different direction. And um, yeah, we feel like because God is growing our church, this is a move that we're making to help with the scalability of things as, as far as our future growth with the church. And uh, we're going to move our hospitality into the worship center there, which we're pretty excited about too, because we feel like that's going to facilitate people's fellowship afterwards a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, uh, on that note, parents, do remember to go get your kids though, uh, because <laughs> if you get stopped and you're having donuts and coffee and meanwhile our kids volunteers are over there just uh dying like on the languishing vine. yeah please come yeah yeah so that's the only unique challenge that we'll face hopefully but yeah we're excited and uh continuing to john but this morning uh, we're in jeremiah seven and eight seven and eight lay it straight bro yeah yeah well chapter seven opens up with a uh it's it's a one commentator called it a sermon from the temple um and temple sermon yeah a temple sermon um, which i I assume is an appropriate place to to give a sermon but it's a it's a call for repentance while there was still yet time and again that's a reminder to us that uh, god is a god of mercy and we're so thankful to that or for that and that's been from the very beginning remember when he took moses and hid moses in the, the cleft of the rock and he passed by moses and one of the things he said is i'm a god who is slow to anger and abundant and steadfast love um that those are, are two realities that we church should be immensely thankful for and so even here we see some of his long suffering and his patience in that he is still willing to extend mercy to israel to judah if they will repent and so isaiah is calling upon them to repent however they're not they're not having it they're not listening and and they are as it turns treating god just like he's one of the wooden idols that uh, they've been pursuing and and uh, and uh, and lusting after as it would be to this point and they think that they can go and and worship all these false gods and do all these sinful things these evil deeds and then come and worship him and that he's going to somehow accept that uh, from their hands and and the 
they're, they're called out on it. And he says, I'm going to cast you out of my sight as I cast out all of your kinsmen, the offspring of Ephraim. That's uh, northern tribes there in Israel. That's verse 15 of chapter seven. So, I mean, God is very strong, even with Jeremiah, the prophet says, don't pray for these people. Don't. I'm done. That sounds I, like they don't have time. It, well, it sounds like God is kind of done with them. If you're telling someone, hey, don't pray for them. Right. That's a, that's a pretty bad sign. Right. And and yet, yeah. And, and I think in obviously in God's omniscience, he knows the beginning from the end. He knows everything that's going to take place here and he knows what's going to happen. But it, it is interesting. There is this back and forth where there's a call for repentance and yet the the surety of the, the coming judgment. Um, and and that's difficult to, uh, to, I guess, to reconcile those things, which are are, speaking of that, our new Testament reading will present another difficulty in, in reconciling some things. And we'll get there in, in just a few minutes, but yeah. Um, God is angry in chapter seven with the people for sure. I think one of the challenges here, he, he, charges the people with putting their trust in the temple. So he's at the temple. He's saying, look, you, you can't say this is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. Like, in other words, uh, using the temple like a trinket, uh, a rabbit's foot, some kind of thing that you, they could wave and say, we're not going to be judged, Jeremiah. We, we've got the temple. I mean, God's presence is here. Yeah. Why would he take this out? And so then later on in verse 14, he says, look, I'm going a, I'm to a do to the house that is called by my name in which you trust. And to the place that I gave you and your fathers as I did to Shiloh, the northern kingdom. So the capital of the northern northern kingdom there he says look i'm going to cast you out of my sight this is this is the error that you've made you think that god can be controlled by trinkets you think that god can be controlled by some kind of superstitious acknowledgement of god's gracious mercy and kindness and i think sometimes even though it's it's very different americans perhaps especially christian americans can can look at americans say well look man look at the christian heritage we have i mean will god ever judge america in the way that we see god doing with with Israel, both in the past and, and to some degree in the present. I don't know what's, what is judgment versus the other stuff that's going on. Nevertheless, challenge for you and I, Christians, is to not put hope in anything except God himself, mm. not to not to trust the edifices of Christianity or the things that look really appealing. Um, we should always, like Jeremiah, seek to trust the Lord and the Lord alone, not to boast in anything besides him. Uh, that That's the danger that they were in. That was, the, that was the, the trap that they fell in. They trusted something other than the Lord. <laughs> Yeah, and and also if if we for a moment think that somehow the wickedness of Israel was worse than our own wickedness because they were going to actual idols and bowing down to Baal and bowing down to these other false gods and burning their sons as as it goes on in chapter seven to talk oh, about. I want to talk about that. But but even that right? Like, hello, how many millions of of, of children are aborted every single year. I don't want to talk about this either. But, but I'm just, the, the point being here, like we are no better off than ancient Israel. We are, we are no more godly. I think we're racing for, for racing the first place of last place. Yeah. 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 That's a good way to put it. Um, and you know, we don't have the promise that God gave to Israel being his people. We, yeah. we are not, we are more, we have more in common with Babylon than we do with Israel. Yeah. Um, and it, we've seen what happened to Babylon. We've seen what happened to ancient Rome. We've seen what happened to all these empires that were at one time, the greatest on the face of the planet. And they flexed with all of their might and they did all these grand and glorious things. And yet God brought an end to them. So to kind of what you were saying, PR is, is even this nationalistic pride that comes in. And, and unfortunately, and it's, it's kind of a hideous thing that's crept into the church too. this Christian nationalism that somehow sees the United States as this post-millennial hope for all of the world is, is obscene at best. I mean, it's, this is not it. The, the, the United States is not the great hope of the world. Like we can be thankful for the rights that we have and the blessings that we have and the securities that we have here. But man, we, our standing is not 
we're not going to stand before God on judgment day with an American flag draped over our shoulders. We're going to stand there by ourselves and it's going to be about what we do with Jesus. That's right. Chapter eight, then um, continues his indictment, uh, the Valley of Slaughter. I just referenced that with the, the death of the, the children, the offering of the children in the flames. Uh, there's a, a, a depiction of a scene that reminded me of, of the last battle too, when it talks about the, them becoming food for the birds of the air, that's going to happen in the end too. And, and God is going to beckon the birds to, to come and feast on the armies of the earth. And so there's almost a, an eschatological foreshadowing here of how he's going to deal with his people, Israel now, but then also it's, it's things are so bad with them now that this is going to be a parallel to what it's going to be like in the end times when he uh, finally comes against the, the, uh, the ultimate enemies there in the end, um, death shall be preferred to life. Verse three. I mean, it, that scene is eschatological too. When, when uh, the people are crying to the mountains, fall on us, fall on us, hide us from the wrath of God. Um, and, and that's, this is just the, the, the unchecked wrath of God being poured upon his people. Um, because of, as he calls it in verse five, the, their perpetual backsliding, they hold fast to deceit and they refuse uh, to return. Yeah, this is hard, man. I, I know we, we went through it quickly and you already talked about it at, at length, but I think one of the most grievous evidences of our depravity is going to be what we've done with our kids, mm. our children, the, the, the millions and I don't know, at this point, perhaps billions yeah. of babies that have been dismembered limb from limb in some cases in the womb. And then I'm sorry, parents, I should have give you a heads up on that. Um, the... <laughs> This is hard to talk about without being graphic, but this is bad. This yeah. is really bad. Yeah. And it seems like when, when God tries to paint a picture of how bad things are, he often will bring this up, child sacrifice. They, they I mean, and, and the way that Israel likely practiced mm-hmm. it, grievous, mm-hmm. abominable to the mm-hmm. nth degree. And yet to your point, man, we, we as a culture, I mean, not us, the church, hopefully no one in the church has done this. And, and perhaps there are people that have done this and been forgiven, but we as a culture have embraced this, this culture of grievous, immoral, ugly death. And this is the kind of things that God says, look, this is why you've warranted my judgment. And, and, and this is heavy for us to talk about for sure. But that's part of the problem that faced is Judah and Israel too, is that their, their leaders weren't talking about that. They weren't calling people out. They weren't talking about the, the, the sin that was running rampant throughout their culture and society. And we see that in verse 11 and 12, that the people have spoken lightly uh, saying peace, peace when there is no peace. Were they not ashamed when they committed these abominations? They weren't ashamed at all. Hmm. So, uh, you know, we, we can put window dressing on our culture and just talk about nice, neat, you know, comfortable things and probably fill up the pews a lot faster and get more downloads from people in, you know, Switzerland and other places like that. (laughs) But I think that we as pastors, as heralds, as God's, you know, God's messengers in that sense, not with inspired words, but with the word of God, we've got to stand up and, and make sure that we're, we're speaking truth into the darkness of the culture all around us. Yeah. And we don't want to lose the capacity to blush. He says right after right. your quote here, they, they didn't know how to blush. Right. They had been so callous to their evil that when they did something wrong, they no longer had any moral response to that. Yeah. Oh man, what a, what a good reminder for us to guard our hearts, yeah. to protect such a, a vulnerable organ. That's Proverbs chapter four, right? Guard your heart for it's the wellsprings of life. Mm. This is one of the, uh, the effects of not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even as we think about the culture around us, our response to it, look at verse 18. This is Jeremiah. Now he says, my joy is gone and grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. We're going to be talking about this this morning in, at church uh, from John chapter three about our attitude towards the lost around us. And is it one more of, of indignation and frustration and annoyance and anger? Uh, and, and I understand some of those emotions, but is, is there coupled with that, this grief of, I mean, they, they, 
people, there's so many people all around us as John puts it, walking in darkness who don't understand um, the danger that they're in and they think everything's fine. And, uh, and the reality is that they've got the wrath of God waiting for them and it's impending and it should create this, this similar response to what Jeremiah has for the people of Judah there as he's thinking about, man, we were once God's people and now he's going to scatter us amongst the nations and he's bringing Babylon against us, which he's just talked about in verses 16 and 17. So it, it should stir in us some, some grief for the, the, the lost in this world. And if it doesn't? I think we need to give thought to it. I, I mean, I think like you can't just turn that on. I mean, and that, that's people are different when it comes to emotions. Some people are literally going to cry over the the fate of lost people in their lives. Other people are are not. But I think all of us have to give intentional thought to these things. And it's not comfortable, and we don't want to. But it's it's like what we were just talking about a minute ago. We can ignore all the heavy things. It doesn't change the fact that they're there, right? And if we will start thinking about more. Uh, more often the the eternal state of our neighbor across the street right we're going to realize more and more man that they're they're facing hell right now Mm -hmm. and and that should create a weightiness for us and we should think about that like when when we're looking at that person and having the conversation across our 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 street and they're standing in their yard and we're standing in ours and we're talking about frivolous things and about what's going on at the school you know and are we going to this event how's trick-or-treating what are you dressing up for halloween like like those conversations are, are are fine they have their place but are we getting to the gospel are we getting to the actual message that's going to rescue them out of the flames as jude says that snatching them out of the flames and and for us to get there, we have to see the danger there. I, I it's, it's not funny, but I, I, I it was amusing. I guess I, it, it, even if that's the right word, I was pulling out of my driveway this morning, my neighbor across the street who, um, one is a, a practicing Hindu and the other is, is simply agnostic. They've decorated their yard out for Halloween and they've got all these things hanging in the trees and everything else like that. And they have a, they have a, a placard in the ground right outside the door that says, beware condemned or do not enter condemned. Mm-hmm. And, John three, which we're talking about today, which is not our DBR. And I apologize for that, but that's, that's the sermon. He says, Christ did not come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. But if you do not believe in him, you're condemned already. Yeah. And they've got a, a sign in the yard. That's very making it preaches make, the point. It does. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, we should feel that grief. And if you don't right now, I would, I would say it's probably because you're not giving it enough thought and you're probably staying on the surface too much rather than really contemplating and giving intentional thought to, uh, okay, where are my neighbors going? Where is my, 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 where are my mom and my, my dad going? Where are my cousins going? Where are my coworkers going, um, eternally? And does that move me? Yeah. I think, uh, only thing I could add to that is that we had to pray for that. Yeah. Pray for that. Pray, pray that God would burden you. Yes. And, and a good word that I read in a book a long time ago is that pray for God to ruin you. Mm. That would be great. This would be the best ruin possible to care about what God cares most about, which is the fate of the lost and the glory of the son. Yeah. Yeah. And in New Testament reading, as we flip over to first Timothy chapter two, here's something that, that is good for us to remember in couple in, or in concert with that is that God desires that my neighbors across the street should be saved. And that's, that's a, a desire. That's a real desire. First Timothy two, four, right? I mean, he gets in there. He starts out by saying, "Hey, pray for peace. Pray for your leaders." And and uh, this praying for pe- a peaceful society is not. Uh, if you're you're jumping in with our, our community group, which I hope you are, I'm going to give you some fodder for your groups because this is kind of the heart behind the question. Um, but the, the whole the whole idea of why do we pray for peace is not so that our life is easier. It's so that the gospel can go out more 
more effectively, more fruitfully. Mm-hmm. We want the, the government to stay out of the church. No hindrances. So that we can get after what we're, we're called to do. Right. Because verse four, God desires, look, at God desires that all should come to faith in Christ. Um, that he has this, this heart that, uh, verse four, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's that's a real desire from God. And look, we can talk about, okay, there's a difference between the decreed will of God, which is the, the things that actually take place and the desired will of God, the things that he might desire. Um, he, his decreed will is what he has ordained to take place. We see his decreed will in Romans eight thirty: those whom he predestined, he called those whom he called, he, he justified those whom he justified, he glorified, right? That's his decreed will for salvation. Here we get this picture that man, he has a heart that all people everywhere should be saved. I, the word for desire here, it's pressing it too far to distinguish decreed and and, and desired will here because the word can go back and forth either way. So for us to just explain this away and go, well, this is God's desired will versus his decreed will. I think here's where we have to get. There's a paradox in scripture that we are uncomfortable with, rightly so, because it, it is difficult. And that is that, that God desires the salvation of all people. And yet also God is 100% sovereign over who will be saved. Those two things are, are held in, in, in parallel tension with each other. And the reality is not everyone will be saved. We are not universalists and God is not a universalist and God does not teach universalism here, but his heart for people to come to faith and repentance is not undermined by the fact that he is sovereign over those who will come to faith and repentance. And you say, how? And I'm going to tell you, man, there's been 2000 years of church history trying to figure that one out. And I don't have the answer. I just know that scripture teaches both. It's not for us to know the answer, but for us to trust that those are the, the two parallel realities held in tension in scripture. And perhaps uh, an important observation here in light of that text is that one of the ways that we accomplish God's purposes and, and fulfill his desires is through prayer. Uh, first of all, he says that I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. Now, granted, the immediate audience in mind is the leaders and those in authority, but it's for the people that we seek to to win with the gospel. Yeah. So if you expect that you're going to be a, a fruitful evangelist apart from um, having a, a robust life of prayer, I think you're going to be deceived and, and you'll find yourself disappointed. He goes on even in the in verse eight, I desire then that in every place men should pray. Yep. He wants us to be a prayerful people so that we can accomplish those desires and those purposes. Yeah. Yeah. And he's going to get into in chapter three, he's going to say, I'm writing so that you might know how one ought to behave in the church. And we're going to hit that tomorrow. Uh, but he's now transitioning into kind of the order of the church here, starting in verse eight in chapter two, I believe is where he's, he's beginning to talk about what should worship look like in the church. And he talks about men lifting holy hands. He also talks about women adorning themselves properly. I, I think the point there is not being distracting to what's going on. And then he gets to this verse, which is the the red flag verse for so many, where he says, I, I, I desire that a woman would learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. This is the context of the, the church, the, the local church services. And here Paul is giving instructions to Timothy that I believe transcend the Greco-Roman culture. You may read some commentaries that say, well, this had to do with the culture in the Greco-Roman world. And so Paul was trying to remind them that this was not appropriate for the women to speak up in the church, though it may have been for the women to speak up in other areas of Greco-Roman culture. It was okay. So, but don't do it in the church because it disrupts the services. 
the reason why I believe this transcends is he connects this, and I believe it's it's the end of chapter two and the beginning of chapter three, but he connects this to created order. And he says, for Adam was created first and then Eve. And so the, the created order here suggesting and pointing to the reality that Eve was created in a specific role for Adam. Go back to creation. Adam was created by God and God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him someone to be a a compliment to him to come alongside him Um, and so in so doing he created eve he created the the woman to be a helpmate in that role for her husband under her husband's leadership and he points to the fall here that eve was the one that was deceived to to illustrate here's here's the thing she was never meant to take the lead and when adam abdicated his role in the garden of taking the lead spiritually for them as a couple eve was the one that that fell because she fell out from under her her husband's leadership and authority there and what happened when that was usurped was everything that that has fallen out since then so this is more than cultural Adam or Paul's argument. He's, he's going all the way back to the garden and the garden of Eden's culture was different than the Greco Roman culture that, that Paul was writing to with Timothy here. Hmm. Does this have anything to say? Do you think uh, in terms of, and we just talked about praying for people in high places. Can a, can a woman, should a woman pursue things like, Oh, I want to be in city council or I want to be a CEO of a company. Does this have any bearing on that? Again, I think if we look at the at chapter three, when he says, I'm ready to you so that you might know how to behave in the church, this is the context here is the church. And so um, I, should a woman run for a CEO of a company or, or a political office? I, I, I think there are general principles that we can pull from from just I want to be careful here, but also want to be true to, to my convictions and in, in what I believe. I think there are roles that men should take that uh, when men are not taking those roles, there's, there's an abdication of leadership, even in society in that. But is a woman qualified to be a CEO? hundred percent. Can she be a CEO? Yes. Is that sinful for her to do that? No. Right. Mm. Should a woman step into a leadership role, for example, like the president of the United States? I, th- I think there's, there begin to be more questions there as far as the, the makeup of the, the, the individual and how God has designed men and women differently to react in different situations. And that's painting with a broad brush. And I understand that. And I, I get that. Put your tomatoes down. <laughs> I get that. But I think just as a general principle, there are positions of leadership that God desires men to take. Right. Uh, helpful, helpful insight. Okay. So we'd be remiss not to talk about verse 15 then. Yeah. Um, help shed some light. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. In what way is the woman saved through yeah. childbearing? Yeah. Well, we know what the gospel is. The gospel is we're saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by, by grace alone, uh, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so this is not a, an issue of eternal state salvation here. We're, she's not being saved salvifically when we think of salvation right. most commonly instead this is uh, her I, I think continuing to speak to the the, the role of the woman L- look ladies if if you are and and have kids in the home you have one of the 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 most one of your greatest areas of influence is in the children that you are raising in the, in the children that are in your home in the children that are with you. And God has given you a role and entrusted to you uh, an insanely important role in, uh, in being the primary voice in the home that the children are with more often than not. And again, that's painting broad brush. I get that. There are some ladies that work outside the home. My wife did when I was first in going through seminary to help get me through school, even when we had Joshua at home. So mm. this is not a situation where ladies, I'm trying to say you should be ashamed or you're, you're disobedient to the scriptures. If you're outside, the home. But Paul is just simply pointing out the fact that, hey, ladies, you have a significant role and it is a significant role to be involved in raising up the next generation and 
pointing them towards faith and love and holiness. So it's, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. So it sounds like you're saying that the, the, this, the saving that's done here, what's implied by this is that her occupation with family life, kids, generally speaking, under the natural order of things, that's going to be uh, a saving, preserving kind of effect on her life. Mm. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. Yeah. And and even that, that's, that's hard to... to Okay, so what does that look like? What does that mean? And honestly, go read five commentaries on that verse, and you're going to get <laughs> five different ideas. Five different about ideas in well, there. One one uh, one approach to this that I did appreciate, and I yeah. think is has bearing on the text, although it may not be utterly satisfying. And I'll be quick about this. Uh, one understanding of this text is that verse 15 actually speaks about the woman bearing the child Jesus, and yeah. so women are actually saved through childbearing. It's it's this glorious gift of God to say you get to bear human beings in your body, and the the greatest privilege of all is that the woman, Mary, carries the son, the son of God, who actually would be the source of her salvation. So that's probably partly in, in view here. At least I, 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 I suggest that. I think that's a good approach to it, although it's probably not all that Paul intends for us to understand. Yeah. This is one of those verses when we get to heaven, it's going to be like, hey, Paul, just tell us. Can we talk to you for a second? I'm actually going to go to Jesus first. And if, if, he's not, if he's not available, then I'll go to Paul. Well, yeah, but. I'll cut to the front but, of the line. Yeah. Hey, guys. <laughs> My turn. Maybe Paul is one of our listeners. Probably not. <laughs> hey, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. If you're still with us and you're not uh, angry at us or me, at least, join us again tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. <laughs> See you Monday. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. <laughs>